0: Good morning again. Good morning. It is great to be here. I failed to mention as I was making an announcements, we definitely want to keep the uh, family of that gentleman that was killed, uh, keep them in our prayers, keep the situation in our country in our prayers, that uh, those of us that need to know some things, and that we might learn them. And those that are struggling because we don't, others don't know those things, pray that they might have a calm spirit and the riots and things like that might cease. Troublesome times. But today, today we get to march to Zion. You know, the song that we sing could be our song of ascent. And if you're familiar with the Psalms, the uh, uh, Psalm 122 and some other psalms there were so- called Psalms of Ascent. And there's different aspects or different thoughts on what that meant. Some believe that as the Jews were returning to Israel for uh, the prescribed feast where they had to go the three times a year, uh, that they would sing these songs as they were on their way. We're marching to Zion or uh, and those type of things. In other words, they were looking forward, going back to God, in their mind, God's city. Uh, another thought is that if you're familiar with Jerusalem, it sets on a hill and the temple sets on a hill. And that they would sing this song as they were walking up, literally walking up to a higher elevation uh, to this temple. And so they would sing these songs of ascent. I'm going up. Another thought, uh, some suggest in, in my Bible, we have a thing there where it says a psalm of David. And, and that wasn't put in, if you're not familiar with those little things that are put in there, obviously they're not in the, the inspired text. But those are traditional views that have been held by uh, the, Jewish, or the Jews, um, the Hebrews, uh, for generations and generations, that this was a psalm of David. So. Uh, and so there's that thought, if this was a psalm of David, uh, you know, w- was he talking about, as some, some suggest, that David was the first generation for ten generations uh, to finally to be able to assemble with the people. Uh, if you know back in his history, there was uh, uh, Judah... Um, had relations with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Uh, She was no longer, she was essentially his daughter-in-law, but really wasn't because her husband died. And then uh, Judah sent his second son to father a child by Tamar, and and that child would represent the first son that died. It was part of the uh, Leverite or Leverite code. Uh, And when that child, her husband did not... uh, um, get a child through her. Uh, Judah wasn't um, real keen to send his third child because the Lord struck the two previous ones dead. Uh, but then through a series of events um, Judah fathered a child and some say or hold the position that these children were illegitimate children and God had the law in the Old Testament that if there was an illegitimate child that It would be ten generations before they could join the assembly. And if you look in Matthew chapter 1 and look at that genealogy, David's like the tenth generation. So there are those that suggest that maybe that's what David says when he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Another thought is that, remember, David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, or not back to, but to Jerusalem. And it may suggest that here David was glad the ark was back. And, the pre- and of course the ark represented the presence of God. And so they were, he was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Whatever the situation was whether it was just merely returning to to Jerusalem for the Jews for a festival, whether it was just walking up the hill, whether it was a a moment in David's life that he could finally assemble before the Lord with his brethren, or whether it was just a a chance where finally the, the ark of the Lord is here before us and we can go up to worship. Whatever it was, the writer says, I was glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. There's a couple of three thoughts. I like preachers, you know, we always have three thoughts. There's three thoughts. We never have any more. We just have three. So three thoughts that that I want us to think about here in, in our worship. You know, obviously, this is our first time back in almost two months where we've assembled in in any size of a group or not. But the first thing that I want us to notice is that only those who have entered the house of the Lord can truly worship God. See, if I'm not in the house of the Lord, I can't worship God. I think I can. I may try to, but if I am not in the house of the Lord, I really, truly cannot worship God. But what does that mean? Ancient Israel understood the, the exclusivity and the restrictions about entering into the presence of God, entering into the temple. And we talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night when we read about in, in Acts chapter 21 about Paul returned to the Jerusalem for the uh, Feast of Pentecost, if I remember right, and he was going into the temple, and, and he, he did what was necessary to purify himself. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that he had sinned, but in some way he was ceremonially unclean. It could have just been whatever it was, touching a dead body in his journey, or, or whatever it was that before he could enter that temple area. Now, I'm not talking about the inner temple where the priests went, But in that temple area, he had to be purified. He understood that to go to be in the presence of God, I just can't do this casually. There's some things to preparing for that. And so we read in Acts chapter 21 and verse 26, Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. So there was the concept, before I enter into the presence of God, I've got to be purified. For them, obviously it was ceremonial unclean. In other words, it could have, as I said, touching a dead body. Uh, uh, you know, There's a lot of various things that, that encompass this idea of being Defiled. Of course, sin would come into that as well. Well, when we think about today, they saw the house of God as a structure, as a building. Here's this wonderful thing made by God, or made by the people of God. That in their mind, this is where the presence of God was. This is where God dwelt. Even though that God told them that he does not dwell in houses made with hands. God is everywhere. And it was never God's request, if you look back, to have a temple built for him. I don't need a temple. He doesn't need a temple. But they did. And because of that, when they entered into that presence, they were purified. So when we think today about the household of God, you and I don't think about a building. We understand, though, and and, you know, there are those in the religious world that look at this building or their building as some type of a holy place. You know, this is God's house. This is where, and we think maybe not consciously. But subconsciously, some think that there's something holy about the pews that you're sitting on. About this area that we're in now. That this is some type of a holy place. Well, the New Testament doesn't teach that. There's nothing holy about this building. There may be holy people within the building. But there's nothing about this building that is holy. We have some brethren that misunderstood that years ago. Can't eat in the building, can't do this in the building, can't do that in the building. Well, it's not a holy building, it's just a building. But we do have to be part of God's house. But when it uses it in the New Testament, the term house refers to the family of God. Notice what we read, and if you have your Bibles, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And we're finishing up our study in Hebrews tonight at 5 o'clock. Make sure you get on for live stream. But notice what it says in verse, beginning in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus. Who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses, who also as Mo, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which should be spoke, would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Notice, Christ built the house. And Paul, or the, excuse me, not Paul, but the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews says that house was built by Christ. He's not a servant in the house. He's the builder of the house. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, Paul writing to Timothy says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself. Notice, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Here, Paul, by inspiration, says that God's house is the church. God's family is the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter writes, writing to Christians, those who are dispersed in those areas. He says, for you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For ancient Israel, they had to go, they went to the temple to worship God. They had to purify themselves For those of us living today, if we are going to worship God, we must be in God's house. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, we read, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be glory. Notice, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Notice that phrase. To him be glory in the church. Well, what is the church? The church is the house of God. And so when the psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. For us living today, the only people that can truly praise and glorify God are those who are in the house of the Lord. The church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. Let's just think about that. Let's take the Bible out of it. Let's just think about that for a moment. Can I truly, if, I, if my parents, when I was growing up, like your parents, they said, hey, dad, or mom, would say, hey, do this. And if I continually did not do, though there was plenty of times that I didn't do what they said, but when I, if I continually did not do what my parents asked me to do or told me to do, Did that demonstrate that I honor my parents? Of course not. Or if I was out on the street and and people knew my parents and, and they saw me talking about how horrible my parents were or saying, you know, my dad was this or my mom was this, just really despairing and despicable things about my parents, would that suggest that I honor and love my parents? No, it would not. Well, how can I, if I am not in the Lord's house, if I am not yielding my will to his will, how can I truly say that I love him? How can I truly say that I glorify him if I'm just doing what I want to do? We understand that. That's not rocket science. If God asks me and requires me to do something and I choose not to do it, does that bring him glory? Of course it does not. Israel understood that there's some purity that's involved with becoming before God. There's some obedience. Though they weren't always obedient, they weren't always pure. But those who are the true people of God, Paul understood that. I need to be clean before I enter into God's presence. And you and I, before we enter into God's presence, if we want to enter into God's presence, we must be in the house of God. Different than it was for Israel. For us, it's the church of the living God. Only those who are in the house of God can truly worship God. Others are making noises, and they may be very sincere, but if they're not in the house of God, the church of Christ, the church of the living God, the church which Christ purchases, purchased with his blood, they truly cannot worship God. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Notice there's an invitation. If it was David, David, come. If the situation was he had been, not been in the assembly for 10 years, David, come. Let us go up to the house of the Lord. Even if it was just dealing with that, that, tran, that, that moving to Israel, to Jerusalem for those feasts, imagine saying to your neighbor and your fellow Jew, Come. Let us go up to the house of the Lord. And at that time, they didn't travel in one person individually. It was too dangerous. They would travel in groups. And we know that partly because Joseph and Mary lost Jesus and left him. They thought he was with the group, but he wasn't with the group. They had to go back to Jerusalem and track him down. How would you like to track your 10 or 12-year-old child in uh, Lakeland? Or Tampa. During those festivals, it's estimated that a million Jews would come to Jerusalem. Imagine trying to do that. So there's an invitation involved, which is my second point. One is not born into the house of God. One cannot actually enter into the house of the Lord. One must be invited into and respond to that invitation to enter the house of the Lord. Come, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Going into the house of the Lord is by invitation only. Some of us are fortunate and blessed that we grew up in families that we have a a heritage of being members of the Lord's Church. Our parents, our grandparents, maybe even great-grandparents were members of the Lord's body. But just because your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents or your great-great-grandparents were members of the Lord's Church doesn't mean that you are until you respond To the invitation. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, during his earthly ministry, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. John chapter 7, verse 37. And Revelation 22 and verse 17, the last book of the Old Testament. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. There's an invitation throughout the gospel. Come. 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 God gives us the information and tells us in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that that is how He invites us. That is how He calls us. See, a true child of God doesn't have to wait for a a feeling, doesn't have to wait for goosebumps or, or chill bumps. He doesn't have to wait for this emotional wave to come over him or over her. Because the true child of God can read the word of God, believe the word of God, respond to the word of God, and know from the word of God that he or she has responded to the invitation of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, but we, are, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica. For you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which, notice, to which he called you by our gospel. For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, he called, God called them to be part of his chosen group by the gospel. And then he reiterates what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3. For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are glorified and we can only glorify Christ when we respond to the invitation of God. Jesus alluded alluded to this during his earthly ministry. He says in John chapter 6 verse 44 and 45, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone, therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, Comes to me. I'm not born, I wasn't born a Christian. I'm not a Christian because my parents were Christians. I'm not a Christian because my grandparents might have been Christians. I'm a Christian because I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. God taught me through that gospel. Now, He may have, He did use an individual to teach me. But that individual opened up the the gospel of Jesus Christ, the New Testament. He showed me what it said, and I either responded to that invitation or I did not. And praise be to God that I did. Because there's many that haven't. Because they're waiting for chill bumps. They're waiting for goosebumps. They're waiting for this wave of emotion to wash over them to know, oh, that's got to be God. That's got to be God. Now, I got those after I was baptized. There was a wave of emotion. There were chill bumps knowing that I was lost. But now I've been found. I was a slave to sin, but now I could be a slave to righteousness. But I didn't know that because of some inner urging or inner revealing by the Holy Spirit. I knew that because that's what the gospel said. See, I can only worship God when I'm in the Lord's house and I can only enter the Lord's house through the invitation of God. I can't get in any other way. Which brings us to the last point. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Being in and with the house of the Lord it's a thing to rejoice. It's a reason for joy. It's a reason for gladness. The Greek word translated glad here, and I went back to the Septuagint to use, look at what the Greek word was, carries the idea of a mood of joy. It involves an inner process. In other words, because I am in the house of the Lord, because I've responded to the invitation of God, there is a mood of joy about me. This world's not my home anymore. And though it breaks my heart to see some of the things that are going on in this world, I still realize that there is something better. And so it gives me a mood of joy, a sense of joy. When we're gathered together as we are this morning, there's a sense of joy that we as the people of God are gathered together. One writer says it might denote the individual mood of joy at God's protection and help in time of need and also the jubilation expressed as we gather together. As we assemble together as God's people, there's a joy. Sometimes we come into the building, it's been a long time, so it's hard for me to remember. I'm getting old. But sometimes we come into the building, and it's like, boy, I'd rather have a tooth pulled than be here this morning. That's not what the psalmist says. I was glad. I was glad. It makes God's people glad together to to gather together to worship God. It brings joy to lift up our voices in song and pray together as the people of God. A few weeks ago, I can't even remember how long ago, someone put on Facebook where some members of a congregation sang the song, It Is Well With My Joy, and they were saying how beautiful it was, and it was beautiful. But I tell you, it doesn't, and I said that then, and I'll say it again, it does not compare when we here at Orange Street, lift up our voices and sing that song. Because we know each other. We're family. We know our strengths. We know our weaknesses. And in spite of those strengths, in spite of those weaknesses, we still love each other. We may get testy with one another. But if we do will go and say, hey, I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry, sister. Because that's what family does. It makes God's people glad to gather together in worship. There's joy in fellowship. There's joy in just being here this morning. And if you don't feel it, I don't know what to do for you. It's just great being here. There's joy in the sense of mutual edification. We think, you know, there's people here this morning that are well past 80. Some past 90. You don't think that doesn't build me up? That in all that we're dealing with, and all that our country, and all that the world is dealing with, with all the stuff that they chose to be here, when if there's anybody that has the right to stay home, They came to worship God. And so the next time my toenail hurts, or the next time I got a little headache or something, I'm going to think about those people and how they're here, and most of them are here every service. How can I stay home? You build me up. I don't know, that sounds like a song someplace, but you get the point. There's that mutual encouragement that just being together. I think one thing we've learned the last seven weeks, and for human beings, it's often like this. We don't realize how important something is until it's gone. We don't realize how important someone is Until they're gone. I think we all realize. How important assembling together is. Did what we do unscriptural? Of course not. Of course not. But is is it as good as this? No it's not. No it's not. And we understand that now. Because for a while. We couldn't do it. So, there's also one more aspect of being in God's house, which brings us joy. There is redemption, Ephesians 1, verse 7. There's an inheritance, Ephesians 1, verse 11. In Christ, in God's house, we are brought near to God, Ephesians 2, verse 13. And all spiritual blessings are in God's house, Ephesians 1, verse 3. In God's house, in God's family, God hears our prayers. God forgives us our sins. And he provides for us during difficult times like this. There is a joy beyond measure when one gathers with God's people to worship. This joy beyond measure when one is added. And there's also joy beyond measure when one is added to the Lord's house due to the blessings therein. As I said many times, today is a day of his rejoicing. And I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the Lord's house. Those who responded to God's invitation are in God's house. I've gathered together to worship our Lord, our God. And it's been good that we've been here. But there may be someone in our audience, someone listening that, It's not part of God's family, and what I've said cannot resound with you. Because if it did resound with you, if it if it got down to the very marrow of your soul, you would realize I need to be in God's house. I need to be part of God's family. I need the Lord to add me to his church because I believe the gospel. I'm willing to turn my life over to God and I'm willing to confess Jesus before men and I'm willing to be immersed in water that my past sins might be forgiven and I'm willing to live my life for Christ from now on because I want to understand the joy The gladness that comes from worshiping and praising and glorifying God. Do you need that this morning? If you do, we urge you to come as we sing this song of encouragement.